It'll be Williams. And he found his first opening. He's into the secondary. Damian Williams across the 30. If he gets a block, he might be gone. Williams, touchdown. 95 yards. Taking it back to 2012, Damian Williams scoots 95 yards for a touchdown against Texas. The longest run in the history of the OU-Texas rivalry. Oklahoma smoked the horn 63-21 that day. Hey everybody, time for another episode of West of Everest. I am Lee Benson. Grant will join us here in a moment. But before we bring him in, a reminder that you can keep up to date with the show by liking the West of Everest Facebook page. Feel free to leave us comments or questions anytime. If you're on Twitter, you can follow Grant at GrantBenson25. I am at Lee Benson News 9. And by the way, we do have some comments and questions from the Facebook page coming up later in the show today. Uh, I know it's the offseason and our show schedule isn't as precise as it was during the football season, but if you're bored and looking to spend a few minutes rating and reviewing the show on iTunes, you are welcome to do so. Just going to throw that out there for all of you listening. So with that, let's welcome in Grant and see how everything is going today in the lovely state of Minnesota. Well, it's just another beautiful winter day. Um, it's not exceptionally cold out, which is always good, but uh, nobody cares about that. It's fine. How are you we doing? I always talk about the weather because, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I did want to briefly bring this up to you before we get into the meat of the show. And I know you didn't hear the intro uh, because I don't play it until uh, post-production. But when I was finding the intro for today, the, um, the long touchdown run by Damian Williams, uh, immediately what I noticed when I was just watching back that play was the crowd noise and like the atmosphere of the, I mean, it's OU Texas, so it's already ramped up to 11, but just, uh, it was kind of, in a way it was kind of sad because obviously we didn't get that fully this past year. And it was like, wow. I mean, I never, I never thought there would be a day ever where we're like looking back at just regular things that were just normal in the past, like a OU Texas game with crowd noise and thinking, man, that was cool. Man, hope we have that again. So, yeah, and they were that was uh, I mean, something I, I I noticed. And they were I like they were relatively lucky this year with with having as many people at the game that they that they had. You know, kind of when you compare it to how other how other programs and how other states and other conferences dealt with the the COVID thing. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's one of those weird things where um um and I I'm far from the last person or the first person to make this point, but. Yeah, sports under COVID have just been extremely weird. Them just not having any any fans in the stands. The TV product, there's been kind of an unreality associated with it. It's just hard to believe that that's kind of what it's come down to. And actually, the inauguration last week or a couple weeks ago felt sort of similar in that regard too. It's just like nobody there. It just it just yeah, it's the the constant reminder that we're dealing with the pandemic is all is is just it's tough to stomach, especially when you juxtapose it like we said that 95 yarder damon williams you know nearly 10 years ago um it's crazy and, and i i hope you know for the 2021 season we can we can have you know atmospheres that are that are that are closer to what we saw there in 2012 getting to the point though lee i'm thinking we're probably not going to i don't think we're gonna have full crowds next season yeah i don't think so either unfortunately uh, i i just don't think it i, I know it's it's, it's you know you know, it's, it's probably too early to make it's that early. call. It's early. I just, but yeah, it, the, you... the, the trends, the trends aren't, uh, aren't seeing, 
Uh, here's the thing. I, I do think places like Oklahoma and Florida and basically all in all the in the SEC, all the different states and universities that had, you know, whatever it was, 20, 25,000 fans, they're all going to want to have full crowds. The only question is, will they have uh, w- w- will certain people push for it? Will people feel like it's they, they publicly want to push for it? Uh, because they're, they're going to want to do it, obviously, because then people are, are going to want to get back to normal. And it also probably depends on, uh, I, I suppose, the vaccine and how that goes. And we're still in the very early stages of that. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's very early, but I agree with you. I think uh, as of now, even though you and I have been some of the most positive people when it comes to sports and COVID dating back to August and September, and I was actually listening back to some old episodes of ours just because I was curious on what we were saying back then. Uh, just to get a reminder, and we were we were always very positive. We we both thought that the college football season would be fine; it'd get through. We th- both thought the NFL would be fine and get through. And uh, the only thing I was I thought Oklahoma would play every single one of their games. Unfortunately, of course, the West Virginia game didn't happen. But other than that, everything was good. So the reason I bring that up is that we have been positive. So for whatever reason, it just doesn't seem like. Uh, even though I, I want to be positive about full crowds, uh, you know, maybe I'll be. How about half the stadium? You know, fifty fifty. You know, it's. That that seems a lot think, more realistic to me at this point. I think fifty percent is. Crowds. I think fifty percent is really realistic. I, I like. I, I would. I absolutely. I'd be willing absolutely. to say. I'd be willing to say right now that we're definitely going to have at least fifty percent crowds next year at the beginning of the season. Um. Yeah. Just yeah. Just kind of gauging right now, taking the temperature of just kind of where we are and other states kind of opening up and just taking the temperature of the country right now. It's just, it's my feeling. And we got a long ways to go culturally before we're going to have full stadiums again. Got a long ways to go. I think, um, like I said, I'd be, I, you know, very happy to be wrong about that, but, uh, yeah, that's, I think that's just kind of where we both are right now. All right, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this show because it's been two weeks since our last episode and a lot of interesting off season news, has uh, has come out and we have yet to comment on any of it. So here is the list of things, Grant, that have happened in the world of Oklahoma football since our last show. Robert Barnes transfers to Colorado. I'm going to go in chronological order, by the way. This is the uh, the the oldest to the newest thing, by the way. Uh, former five-star tackle Wanye Morris transferred to Oklahoma from Tennessee. Joe John Finley hired to replace Shane Beamer as the H-back coach. Uh, assistant to the offense, also overlooking some special teams. Former three-star quarterback Micah Bowens transferred to Oklahoma from Penn State. Texas was set to hire Mike Stoops as an assistant coach, but then Texas did not hire Mike Stoops at the last second. Two-year starting guard, starting guard, sorry, I kind of choked there for a second. Two-year starting guard Robert Congle transferred in from Arizona. And finally, just happened... uh, Yesterday, as we record this on uh, Wednesday the 26th, I believe this was Tuesday the 25th, former four-star safety Key Lawrence transferred to Oklahoma from Tennessee. So out of all those things, Grant, obviously I'm mostly interested in Robert Barnes leaving for Boulder with a chip on his shoulder looking to start at nickel and prove me right about him all these years later that he's going to be a great nickelback. So if you don't mind, I'd like to do about 20 minutes on Robert Barnes to Colorado and then we can move on from there. So hopefully you're cool with that. All right, so first off, Robert Barnes. <laughs> I don't know how. Like, could you think we could actually spend twenty minutes on Robert Barnes? I don't think we. I don't think we got enough to go twenty minutes on Robert Barnes. There'd be a lot of filler for sure. I, I think we could do five, maybe ten, and then af- after that point, we would really be trying to to uh, to grab grab that shovel and just scoop the sand into the bucket 
I'll yeah, say this. I, I don't know if it would work out very I'll well. I'll say this about Robert Barnes. I think it's like it's I think it's cool that he's that he's getting an opportunity in another P five school. It's 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 cool that he's not just going to like North Texas or something like that. Uh, actually getting an opportunity at a P five school and, and Colorado is cool. Um, if you've if if anyone has, has ever been to Boulder or or been like on, on campus over there at Colorado or hasn't been, go. It's really cool. It's beautiful. It's an awesome city, awesome town. Um, if you're younger, like maybe high school age, thinking about going to college somewhere fun, go to Boulder. Get all of your friends and just go to Boulder for college. I, 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 I <laughs> hey guys, <laughs> get all of your friends and just say, hey, we're we're going to Colorado. We're going to Boulder. Just do it. You'll you'll thank me later. <laughs> do not take advice from Grant when it comes to going to college. That uh, that is not good advice. Disregard everything you just said there. That's my. Um, that's to save our butt from uh, I don't know, man. choosing to go to college and then and then five years later realizing that they made a terrible decision because didn't have the right major or they decided to go there and didn't think it through. Uh, I think uh, we know some people that, and by know some people, I mean potentially you and me that could <laughs> could think that way. I don't know. Like, eh, I you got, don't think through college very well. I got that. I got that piece of paper from a Big Ten school. I think everyone should kind of take my opinions on the matter pretty uh, pretty seriously. okay so robert barnes is obviously not the number one thing the number one thing i think that uh came out of the last couple of weeks is the transfer in of tackle wanye morris so some background on morris by the way it is wanye rhymes with kanye and thank you tennessee official website for having that on your website to uh, help us all out so wanye morris he was a 247 composite that five-star is, recruit. That is so much cooler than Wanya. <laughs> yeah. He's, so it's he's already just, coming it's in. Just a lot, it's just a lot cooler than Wanya. Just very much. So he's already coming in with very high expectations because of his, uh, his name, obviously. And, I mean, he came into Tennessee with, with very high expectations, just not even because of his name, because of his play. He's in the class of 2019. Uh, he was one of the best freshman tackles in all of college football back in 2019 he started 12 games at left tackle for Tennessee and I remember you talking about before the season started and I was going again I was going back to listen to some old episodes and so this this uh, helped me remember that you were very high obviously on Anton Harrison Grant potentially starting as a freshman for Oklahoma that didn't end up happening because Eric Swinson was able to lock that down uh, you were talking about how you know if a freshman starting for Oklahoma, that means Bill Biedenboe thinks this guy's really good and he's really good. Well, for Tennessee in 2019, a freshman started 12 games for Tennessee, and that's Wanya Morris, and he was SEC All-Freshman. Uh, he was uh, the 247 Sports True Freshman All-American, so he, he had a great freshman season. Now, last year, though, in 2020, it wasn't as good for Wanya Morris. He did start seven out of a possible nine games for Tennessee, but when you dig a little bit deeper into this past season for Morris – you only see that five of those seven starts were at left tackle, and two of his starts were, were as a, a blocking tight end in their jumbo package. So in other words, Morris only made five starts at tackle in 2020, uh, and he didn't start at tackle in the last three games of the season. He had his job taken, apparently, by, uh, by a senior. So something happened to him uh, throughout 2020, and so I, I dug a little bit more into it, and you may already know this, Grant, and maybe our listeners do too, but I'll just get into it in case you don't. It, it seems like on the surface, you know, that's your sophomore slump. You know, something happened. Maybe he, uh, you know, he didn't take the offseason as seriously. Maybe he kind of got too high and just didn't work as hard, and he just he kind of came down and got humbled a bit. 
it happened to Baker Mayfield in the NFL, his second year in the NFL. He didn't play as well. But I have read that Morris' situation last fall, there were some reports that he, he might have missed a lot of time because of COVID contact tracing. Uh, Tennessee's Sports Illustrated website says that Morris missed, quote, upwards of two months. Uh, it doesn't specify when he missed that time, but just looking at the game participation and when he played, I would guess it was the summertime, uh, you know, preseason, fall camp, because Morris, he didn't start the season opener for Tennessee, but then for the next game, for, for week two, their second game, he was in the starting lineup at left tackle for that game. So uh, for me, bottom line, the reporter for Tennessee's Sports Illustrated website, his name is Matthew Ray, According to him, he says that losing Morris is a crucial loss for Tennessee. So even though he had a suspect sophomore season, it sounds like Wanya Morris was expected to be a big part of Tennessee's future on the offensive line. So this looks like a really good pickup for Oklahoma, Grant. And so those are the questions that I had, Lee, uh, were the, you know, yeah, you start every single game as a true freshman at left tackle, and then, for whatever reason, your your follow-up sophomore campaign is, is kind of uneven. You don't start every game at left tackle. Uh, the games you do start, not even all of them are at left tackle. I, that's that's so weird as a as a flex tight end, mm-hmm. and that that's odd. Um, and so yeah, that that was that was my my very first question about Wanye Morris when, when when I found out about this, when I heard about this. What's the deal with 2020? And if you're if you're saying it's it's COVID related, I, I think you know that that probably would explain a lot. So. Um, but yeah, everything else, it, it seems like, uh, Tennessee fans, which I think is a good gauge. Um, if you're going to get like a transfer or something happens to another fan base or another team, I think it's always good to gauge the fan base to see kind of what their reaction is. They're not happy about this. They think it's a big loss. Um, and I know there's a lot of people on the Oklahoma, in the Oklahoma camp who think this is a really big deal. This guy's really talented, uh, potential first round pick. And I think the expectation right now is that this guy is just going to come in and he's going to take the left tackle job. Um, is that realistic? I don't know. We're, we're, we're going to find out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've seen some clips of Wanye and I've, you know, you see the, uh, the recruiting pedigree. And of course, of course you're excited about this uh, because you know that you have a guy, you know, Eric Swenson, who is, who, who is serviceable and was pretty decent this season. Um, you would like someone more talented to come in because that left tackle spot is a really big deal in this, you know, in this age of football. And so you would like a more talented guy to come in. And then so you could, uh, I think the assumption is that you kick Anton Harrison over to the right and then boom, you got a really experienced offensive line and not only experienced, a really talented one. So of course, yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to keep our eye on this. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not ready to, to, you know, to print the national championship tickets yet. Um, but if this is obviously a good get for OU. It, it very clearly is. This is a talented guy who is athletic. Who, who probably really fits into what Bill Biedenboe wants to do on the offensive line. And I, I'm excited. I, of, so of let's, I let's break it down even further because uh, I went in and watched some of his tape. And we've said it a million times on this podcast, we're not experts on offensive line play. But we can watch a player and discern his, his athletic ability, uh, how comfortable he looks, how he's able to block, especially as an offensive lineman. And so I went back and I watched – some of his high school, his huddle tape. Uh, there was a little bit more on YouTube from a you know high school showcase stuff. Watched a little bit of that, and then I also watched uh, this past season they played at Georgia, and so that's all of the uh, the college stuff. I mean, there's there's tons of stuff from 2019, obviously that I could get into that would probably be a lot better. Uh, but I chose Georgia from this year just to get more recent tape, and also Georgia is one of the better 
uh, defenses that Tennessee faced all season long. So I was curious to see how it looked against Georgia. So combining all of that, here is what to me looked good about Wanya Morris. And you mentioned this a moment ago. He's an athletic player. He looks he does look very athletic, especially for his size. Tennessee listed him at 6'5", 320, and he can move. Uh, I don't think he, he should not have any problems pulling in that GT counter that Oklahoma loves to run over and over and over again. Although it is interesting. You have something to say? I was going to say, so that's, that's something that Swinson struggled with. He, he struggled pulling, and that's, that's one of the reasons why they, they at times had trouble getting you know, the, the GT counter going this year. He's certainly a lot more athletic than Eric Swinson. There's no doubt about that. You can, you can see that on tape. That kind of uh, jumps off uh, when you're going to compare the two players. Uh, but when I say he shouldn't have as you know, many problems pulling, I will add that in the Georgia game, and granted, it's what's a one game, uh, but it's against Georgia, and it's against a team that obviously Tennessee's going in there throwing everything against the wall, trying to make things work against a really good defense. He didn't pull one time in that game against Georgia. So it's clearly not a big part of Tennessee's offense, and it's not a big part of Jim Chaney's offense, which we've, we've spoken many a time about Jim Chaney on this podcast. Not recently, but uh, the, the ex-Georgia offensive coordinator. His offense is um, not, not very uh, new school to put it uh, kind of clumsily, I suppose. So I didn't see him pull, but he looked pretty athletic. There was a couple of plays where it looked like he was going to try to get downfield on screens that didn't, uh, didn't really go anywhere because it was good defense by Georgia. But he was out running around a little bit, and he looked like he was in control and athletic. And for a big guy, he could move a little bit. Also, pass blocking-wise, his feet look solid. Got a strong base, nice balance. Uh, that looked nice. Um, on the other side, though, there's always going to be downside. There's going to be bad stuff. And in that game, he had some trouble with Georgia's, uh, Georgia's Jack linebacker, kind of their version of Nick Benito. Uh, Aziz Ojalari, number 13, uh, there is a, a holding penalty against Wanye in the first half where he got ripped by Ojalari and he just kind of grabbed him on the inside and, and it was pretty obviously a holding call. Uh, and then later in the third quarter, he gives up a strip sack uh, going up against Ojalari, where he just got beat going up and un- underneath him, and he, even though he's pretty athletic, Morris, he he couldn't handle it. You know the the athletic ability of Ojalari. So I mean, those are the two the two uh, black marks in that game against Georgia. Uh, but everything else, though, in the game, he was he was fine. I mean, he could, he pass blocked fine. It, run blocking looked okay. Uh, Tennessee was in that game for the first half. After halftime, they were they were dominated on and, and the high school tape. Uh, now this is more. This is the bad stuff. And granted, this was a couple of years ago, so I'm assuming some of this has been cleaned up at the college level. But it shows him in high school grabbing and holding inside a lot. Like it seemed like, kind of his move, right, right at the point of attack was to get the opposing players and grab them kind of inside their pads and just throw them to the ground, just ragdoll them. And he was such a big guy and strong that he could he kind of get away with that in high school. And and I would bet that he didn't get called for it really at all if, if at all in high school uh didn't see much of that in the georgia game probably because you can't just throw sec guys around like ragdolls and uh you know it's going to get called a lot more in college but i mean yet he got called for holding in that one situation where he got uh got beat and grabbed on the inside and pulled him back so uh, those are kind of the the negatives i've seen from wanye morris but <clears throat> overall though i think this is a very good get for oklahoma uh, I'm sure all of you out there listening has heard from multiple people 
in the Oklahoma media uh, and around the country, and you mentioned the Tennessee fan base is not happy about this grant, that, you know, that, that he's a good player. And, and I will confirm that for you right now. He's got great upside. He's going to go to a better football team, obviously, in Oklahoma. Got a better offense. I'm going to guess he's got a better offensive line coach now in Bill Biedenboe. He's got a chance to start right away. Uh, on the left side or the right side, we'll see what happens. Obviously, you mentioned Eric Swenson Grant. Uh, he's going to get pushed. Anton Harrison will be pushed. There'll be some good competition there. So you throw all three of those guys in there. It'll be those three for two spots. And right now, Oklahoma's in a much better spot than it was two weeks ago. Anything else on Wanye? Yeah, I. Yeah, no. I mean, I. I it looks good. It, it's one of those things where it's like you know, I can't. You know, I. I haven't watched a lot of him, and and you already kind of you already sort of set the stage saying, you know, we're not experts on this. When I'm evaluating, and I, I use kind of air quotes there, uh, offensive linemen, what I like to look at is can they move? Because I, cause to me, that's, that's, that's the thing that's very easy for me to see uh, that distinguishes offensive linemen. So, you know, guys who, like, for instance, when, uh, when Chris Murray transferred to OU, I remember going back and watching some of his stuff at UCLA, and the thing that really stood out to me was just how well he moved. He was clearly athletic. Um, he wasn't, you know, he was carrying the 320 pounds extremely well. Um, and in the, you know, in the brief footage I've seen of, of Wanye Morris, it's, it's similar. The guy is an athlete very clearly. Um, and if you, if you kind of want to look at it from a, a glass half full type perspective, he, he started those two games at flex tight end. I highly doubt they would start someone at flex tight end who wasn't, you know, athletic enough to handle it. Um, I, 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 Signs are pointing to good things here. It is, oh, yeah. I, you know. Oh, yeah. This you, is you, you can only say so many things, you know, yeah, before it gets kind of this. ridiculous. Yeah. I, you know, I'm. He's a former five-star recruit who has what 19 starts in his college career. Uh, a majority of them at left tackle in the SEC. I mean, yeah, baby, you take that all day, 100, percent especially with a guy you know who has. And this is not just this is not just you know you know partisans and and crazy fans saying this. I mean, this is a guy who NFL draft scouts have come out and said this guy has has NFL high round ability. And so it's I, I, the question is still out whether or not Bill Biedenboe is going to be able to mold that into into what we hope it is. Uh, but I, I think the chances are relatively good. And so I mean I'm I'm excited. I mean this is this goes a long way to solidifying what was a fairly substantial question for this offseason, I think. And it wasn't just Wanye Morris. Uh, Bill Biedenboe got another offensive lineman in the last couple of days that, I, you know, I, I had heard about Wanye and the possibility of that and when, when he entered the portal and it happened a few days later. I, I had no idea that they were getting another guy. And they pick up a guy named Robert Congle from Arizona. And I'll be honest, I didn't, uh, didn't watch his tape like I watched Wanye Morris's tape, but I did look into him a little bit to get some background information on him. And... He's a 6'4", 321-pound guard slash center, and he, here's his background, and he walked on. He's a walk-on. He, he walked on at Texas A&M when uh, Kevin Sumlin was still there back in 2017, and as a walk-on freshman, he was able to get in and play five games as a backup that year, and when someone got fired and got the job at Arizona, he, he liked Kevin Sumlin enough to go to Arizona and transfer out, and that many had to sit out that 2018 season because of the transfer rules, obviously. But then in 2019, he was a big part of Arizona's offensive line. He made eight starts, seven of them at left guard, one of them at center. And then this past year, he actually shifted over to right guard 
And he started every single game for Arizona. They only played five because the Pac-12 decided to, well, everyone knows what happened with the Pac-12. So they only played five games. He was a, a full-time starter this past season. The season before, he basically started almost every one of their games. Uh, and if, looking more into him, Grant, you know, when I first heard about this, I thought, oh, that's a good depth piece for, um, you know, the interior part of the line guard in there. But I, I guess before he played guard exclusively in college, he played a bunch of center. And... So logically, it would appear that Congle is going to come in and probably battle it out with Chris Murray and Ian McIver uh, for the honor of replacing Creed Humphrey at center. So th- this is another good-looking setup here for Oklahoma and Bill Bedenbone, the offensive line. Yeah, I don't want to say this one is is as significant as the Wanye Morris, but I mean this is this is a big deal. I mean this is a guy who is, I think, well, he's he started fourteen games in college. Uh, on the offensive line and he was he was a full-time starter this season as well and he's a guy that you that that you're bringing in and you don't even expect him to start hell yeah I mean that that's that's a big deal that I mean that's that 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 really can only strengthen your room and you talk about the guy being a walk-on uh he's he's had to work through some stuff he's had he's had to earn it nothing's been given to him um and this may be kind of a cliche but that's that's a locker room guy right there that's the type of guy that you want in your locker room He's going to push guys. I mean, I think just, and maybe I'm off base here, you can tell me, but a guy who's a walk-on who comes in and is able to play a little bit as a freshman, as a true freshman, as a walk-on, I am I crazy to think that this guy's probably a hard worker? He can work a little bit? Um, <laughs> and, you know, I just, I that's that's great, especially on the offensive line. Um, you can never have too many of these guys, and I, I mean... I think it would be kind of silly to to not expect him to come in and be a, a fairly regular contributor in 2021. I this this is a starter from a Pac-12 school. Yeah, and so what what is the outlook then now for for him and the offensive line really? And and let's be we talked about the the tackles a moment ago when we're talking about Juan A. Morris, but the inside of the offensive line you mentioned, yeah, maybe they're not expecting him to start. I, I guarantee you he's going to get that opportunity to win the starting job at center grant. Like he's going to get thrown in there and, and you got, uh, you mentioned him as a walk-on, you know, who else is a walk-on that's going to try to win that starting center job, Ian McIver. So now you got two centers uh, and granted again, uh, Congle has played guard the last couple of years. So mostly he's a guard, but he does have that, that center experience. And obviously with Bill Biedenboe, I mean, he shifts his guys everywhere. All the guys know how to play all the positions for the most part. And with Creed Humphrey gone, Congle, I'm sure, has in his mind, I want to start and I'm either going to win the center job or I'm going to beat out Marquise Hayes or Tyrese Robinson. I mean, that guy's, like you said, he's a hard worker and, and he's overcome a lot of stuff. So you definitely know he's coming in thinking he's going to start somewhere. And that's good. That's competition. And so the outlook for the interior, you got Marquise Hayes, Tyrese Robinson, Chris Murray, and Robert Congle. And then you got Ian McIver, who's he's going to probably keep playing center. Don't, so. forget, about, don't forget about Andrew Rame as well. Oh, yeah, and, Andrew Rame. I mean, he's, yeah. He could be the best out of all of them. Oh, great call. Yeah, I, I forgot to list him in my notes. Andrew Rame as well. So uh, that's just a ton of depth right there. And you can't be anything but pleased, really happy, ecstatic, whatever adjective you want to say about Oklahoma, uh, their offensive line, and what they've gotten out of the transfer portal so far on the offensive line. It, it's great. Yeah, they've gotten, you know, they've gotten a potential starting left tackle who has early round NFL potential. And you got a guy who was a full-time starter at Arizona this year and has, has played a lot of positions on the or multiple positions on the offensive line. Um, I mean, that's awesome. This is this is great. I, I think they've they have, you know, 
they've sufficiently, you know, uh, addressed their needs on the offensive line in the portal. Um, just uh, to to kind of uh, revisit what you said earlier, I, I I think we can assume Chris Murray is going to be a starter on the offensive line in in twenty twenty one. There's definitely a question of of whether or not that's going to be at at center or right guard. Um, but I, I think for sure that Chris Murray is, is, is going to lock down one of those spots. And so I just kind of wanted to take the time just to say, this is my ultimate pipe dream for the, for the offensive line in, in 2021. This is, this is how I want it to shake out. I'm not saying this is not my prediction. Um, but if it shakes out like this, I, I, I think, I think we can point towards this as, as, as pretty good evidence that OU is where they want to be. And I, on the offensive line, I, you hope that Wanye Morris comes in at left tackle and takes that spot. Uh, Marquise Hayes is a guy I think has has really high NFL potential at left guard. Uh, there is no chance that that Congo is going to take his spot. I just I don't think that's realistic at all. Um, and then I, I think Chris Murray is going to be at center. And then I think what you really want you, you want Andrew Rame to uh, to have such a good offseason that you that you can't justify uh, leaving him off the starting offensive line. And, and I, that's where I. I I want I want Andrew Rame to be the starting right guard uh, with Anton Harrison at right tackle. If if that if that is true that you know his natural position is right tackle and they just kick him over, um, I, I I think this offseason, one of the things that you're really pointing towards you really want Andrew Rame to force the coach's hand and and to make it so that he has to be on the field. Um, if that happens, then OU's offensive line is going to be in really a really good spot. Um, yeah. Like I said, that's my you know that's my pipe dream. I I I'm really hoping that Andrew Rame is is going to be is going to be the starting right guard. Over on the yeah, and that that sounds good to me. Uh, I I like where your head's at there, and it, it all comes back to it's a cliche, but competition is what you want. And Oklahoma, it seems like at every position group. I mean, it's ever since Alex Grinch has got there, and obviously on the offensive end with Lincoln Riley, it, it's always been good, but. Uh, defensively, the competition is getting better and better and better, and that's that's what I want to transition to now. Is on the defensive side, I didn't know this was coming, and another Tennessee transfer comes in uh, a, a day or two uh, this week. I'll say just to make it uh, de- not necessarily as specific, but uh, Key Lawrence comes in, who was a safety at Tennessee. He was a two four seven composite four star. He was a rivals four star. Uh, Tennessee listed him at 6'2", so a big old safety exactly in the mold that we've been told that Alex Grinch likes. He was the highest-ranked recruit in Tennessee's 2020 recruiting class. So uh, he, he's now going to be in Norman for Oklahoma. Uh, for Oklahoma. He, he played sparingly as a true freshman this past season, uh, didn't start any games. He was on special teams, and late in the year he got – some more playing time in a reserve role in the secondary looking into key Lawrence uh, here's what he brings to the table Uh, a lot of flexibility you know Tennessee moved him to a bunch of different spots Uh, early on they had a lot of COVID problems and so players were out and so they had to move Lawrence from safety to corner and then in early November they started working him out at the nickel position so he comes to Oklahoma with one year of college under his belt not a lot of playing time, but experience in multiple positions. So I have a little bit more information on him as well, but I'll, I will pause, Grant, because I don't know. Was this something that I know you kind of look into more of the recruiting stuff and some of the websites that I necessarily don't? Was this, was this coming? Was this on people's radars? Uh, it was one of those things where it's like if you kind of have any of those 
like the insider access to that stuff. It was more of kind of along the lines of if, if Keyshawn Lawrence actually goes in the portal, uh, OU has a really, really good chance that that's kind of what it was. Uh, the question I kind of was always with him, whether or not he's going to leave Tennessee. Um, and then I, on a lot of those message boards, a lot of those inside sites, as soon as he was in the transfer portal, a lot of people were saying that it's Oklahoma. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this this is kind of the one where I'm just I'm I'm gonna pump the brakes like a little bit uh, just because he is he's a younger guy um, he was just a true freshman this past season didn't get a lot of run or anything like that um, obviously I mean you you love the body type clearly that's the thing that really stands out uh, at first and of course you couple that with with OU's sort of inability the last couple recruiting cycles to get. Uh, you know, land highly coveted safeties, Bryson Washington notwithstanding. Um, yeah, I mean, you obviously like that. He, that's kind of the prototype in terms of size and athleticism that you're looking for, you know, in the second part or in the in the deep half of your secondary. I just, we just don't know yet from his first season at Tennessee whether or not he's a really good college player now, right now. We don't know that yet. Um, is it possible that after spring practice and after you know an offseason in the weight room that he hits the ground running with OU and he's great and he's a starter? I, yeah, I mean, I guess that's possible. Um, but this is one of those guys where I, I would caution and I say out of, the, out of the three transfers so far, this is the guy I would say is least likely to have a big-time spot on the team for 2021. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a good take. I, and I was going to... And I'll get to it, but uh, yeah, you're right. And as I look more into him, I, I tried to watch a little bit of tape on, on Key Lawrence, and I watched some high school stuff. I watched a little bit of the stuff from this past year. He didn't have a whole lot of tackles, so there wasn't a whole lot to go on. He had one pass breakup. So let's talk about it. Let's, let's talk about his outlook. So, and, and generally, I agree with you, I, and, and here's why. I mean, uh, to me, at Oklahoma coming in with Trey Norwood leaving, this is a nice addition to the secondary because Lawrence, as I talked about a moment ago, in theory, he's a flexible type player. He can play at a lot of different positions. So that's what Trey Norwood was, was known for. He was like the Swiss Army knife of the secondary. Now, is he going to be able to come in and play right away and, and contribute like Trey Norwood did last season? I don't know. And, and you don't know, and, and I don't think Alex Grinch knows at this point. I, you know, I watched a few of his tackles this past season. Uh, didn't have a whole lot on tape. You know, he had, like I said, he only had one PBU. It was in garbage time against Vanderbilt. Uh, he was playing nickel, man coverage in the slot. It was fine. I mean, it was nothing special. It was a he hung with his guy, and it was a kind of a pass behind the receiver, and he he knocked it down. Nothing too terribly complicated. So that was really all I had from college from this past year. Uh, limited high school highlight tape. Um, to me, this is a bit of a. Red flag seems too serious of a term, uh, so I'll, I'll say it's a little um, annoying or makes me kind of scratch my head a bit uh, when I say that there was more plays in this highlight tape of him playing offense and returning kicks and punts uh, than there were of him actually playing defensive back. Um, and speaking of kicks and punts, he's an electric returner. Um, he's really good at that, and I guess we'll see if if he pushes Marvin Mims or maybe perhaps he'll be somebody they put back on kickoff return now that Trey Brown and Charleston Rambo are both out of the picture. So that seems like something that he's pretty darn good at. Uh, but I'm kind of with you. I don't have a strong take on, on him right now. I don't know what he does well as a defensive back. I, I haven't seen enough 
game action high school wise last season I don't know and and I'll parrot what you said at the very top I mean all I can say now is his size is fantastic at 62200 that yes big old thumbs up to that uh, but I do think he's going to have a he's going to have a chance to win a starting job I think he's going to have an opportunity to go out there and win a starting job I don't know where that's going to be but he's going to get a shot uh, especially with his pedigree coming out of high school and and being a highly recruited player in the in the top recruit in Tennessee's 2020 class so uh that's where i stand right now yeah i mean i think i think what everyone wants to happen i think what everyone's sort of dream scenario is is that he comes in and he he establishes himself fairly well and he takes pat fields job i think that's what everyone wants to happen uh will that happen i i i would say the odds probably you know favor betting against that but um you know we'll see obviously you, you like the pedigree but he said still only just this one year in college so far this one season and it was a really really weird season and so i i think it's really fair especially with this guy just to, to pump the brakes a little bit uh he's never gone through a normal uh full regular college football season um and and you know like you said not a lot of high school tape maybe maybe he's a bit of a project uh but we'll find out like i said i I, I would love to be proven wrong. I would I would love it if, if if he's starting day one. That would be great. That would mean that he's so good that you know he's forcing his hand. I just yeah I, I don't I don't find that particularly likely. So uh, let's let's go over the safety room right now, and I want to talk about kind of yeah like you mentioned that the the dream or thoughts by the fan base as he comes in and takes Pat Fields' job, and okay that's that's fair, uh, something like that. And so let's talk about all the different players and kind of what we'd like to see shake out in the secondary come, you know, come week one, just for fun. And right now you got, you mentioned Pat Fields. Of course, you got Delarian Turner yell. Uh, you got Justin Harrington, hopefully coming back healthy, and hopefully he's going to be available to play uh, this fall for Oklahoma. You got Lawrence, of course, Buki, Jeremiah Cradell, Bryson Washington, and Justin Broyles will be back. And if I'm missing somebody, I apologize, but those are the main safety players out there that, uh, that stood out to me when I was looking over the Oklahoma roster. So as of right now, late January 2021, here's what I would like to see the secondary look like come week one. At corner, you're looking at DJ Graham and Woody Washington. You got Jaden Davis mixing in there as well, of course. Uh, we'll see if Joshua Eaton makes a little bit of a jump. We'll see if uh, maybe Kendall Dennis is maybe somebody that uh, could get a shot at some playing time. But the main three, Washington Graham, Davis Latrell McCutcheon man oh McCutcheon Ooh. yeah I he's like and you guys know from listening to this podcast I'm not a guy who really goes out on a leg you know on, on high school players a lot if if there's a guy I really like I'll I'm gonna say it McCutcheon is is my favorite guy in this recruiting class he his his high school tape is awesome uh wouldn't surprise me at all if he's if, if he kind of forces himself in as and as you know the the fourth corner behind you know Davis you know, as much as you whiffed on uh, Charleston Rambo, you're also you're actually pretty good when it comes to high school guys. And mainly, I'm just talking about Delarian Turner Yell because he's kind of the one guy that you've really enjoyed before he even really stepped on the field for Oklahoma, and he's turned out to be a really good player. And maybe a little bit, you did that with Marvin Mims a little bit, maybe. And then now, yeah, you're, Mims uh, was my favorite guy in the last class. Yeah. And now you're mentioning Latrell McCutcheon. So you've actually done really well in that aspect of it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, good, good job pointing him out because I had him off of my list as well. So, so that's kind of the, the corner situation. But as, as far as the safeties goes, 
I mean, Valerian Turnerell, he's your strong safety. Uh, yeah, you mentioned Pat Fields, free safety. You know, it'd be nice to see Fields take on more of a backup role, which would mean that either you got Justin Harrington or Bryson Washington or maybe Key Lawrence, you know, someone like that coming in, playing the position at a higher level than what Pat Fields has played it the last couple of years. And then you got Nickel. And Nickel is a spot for me. I'd like to see a scenario like we saw near the end of this past season where you got somebody other than Buki playing well enough to start at that spot. And then you got Buki coming in and out in certain situations, complimentary type player. And I know that Lawrence played some nickel at the end of the year for Tennessee. Does Alex Grinch see him as a nickel? I don't know if we know that at this point. Uh, can Jeremiah Cradell improve to be a factor at nickel and push Buki? Is Justin Harrington somebody that actually could come in and play the nickel spot? We'll all find out in spring, fall, but uh, that, that's, that's what I kind of want to see in the secondary. And lastly, no matter who emerges, whoever it is that comes out, I think the secondary at this point, uh, it's, it should be the best it's been since Alex Grinch has been here. And I don't think they've had this much talent competing for multiple positions in the secondary for years and no matter again no matter what happens I am incredibly uh, excited about the potential of that group grant yeah I mean their their defensive back room has been completely overhauled uh, it's it's just it's it got a lot better and it got a lot better really quickly I, I'm really happy I'm really happy with it um the the guy that I think is um is is the key, especially the defensive backs. You know, next season is Justin Harrington. Uh, how well that guy recovers from his from his season-ending injury last summer, um, and, and how well he's able to kind of ingratiate himself within the defense and maybe take over some sort of leadership role, I think is going to go a long way to to tell us how how good this defense can be. Um, you know, if you if if you paid attention to a lot of the mumblings, the grumblings last summer of the coaching staff, and uh, you know, a lot of the guys on the staff expected Harrington to come in and play a really big role in the secondary and then you know him getting hurt really early on in in, in fall camp w w was thought to be a pretty big blow to them so um, I, I think Harrington coming back is is a really big deal and I'm really curious to see how that's all going to shake out um, yeah we, we, we can talk about how you know the cornerback room, the safety room, the defensive backs, that what we would like to see the starters look like against Tulane on, on September 4th. Um, but I, I, I keep coming back to this idea, you know, this is a defense that's returning a lot of experience. And it just I, I just find it really hard to believe that come September 4th, Pat Fields and Buki are not going to be starting on this defense. Those are, those are two guys who are going to be seniors and have started well over 20 games in their career. Um, I think coming into a season where you have a lot of experience on defense, you know, the, them starting the season opener is pretty much a cinch in my mind, injuries notwithstanding. Um, as the season progresses, all bets are off. I mean, who knows? I, like, you know, obviously, yeah. I mean, I, I want Justin Harrington to come in and, and kind of establish himself as a really good player. Um, and if he does, then then we can talk, but I don't know. I, I think his progression and how good he is is really gonna is really gonna tell us how the secondary is gonna shake up for the season. Yeah, I agree. And I think you're right about Pat Fields, and I think you're right about Buki. I think your injury notwithstanding, as you said, they're gonna be in the starting lineup. And yes, the experience is important, but also what have we learned from Alex Grinch over the last two seasons? 
sure, uh, just because you're starting, that doesn't mean that you're going to play every single snap of the game. I mean, he loves to work in so many players throughout the entirety of the game. I mean, he, he loves uh, getting everybody off the bench and showing off his depth at every single level of the defense. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think they're going to get the starting jobs. I think they're going to be there. But it doesn't mean they're going to be there for the entire game. But uh, even if they were great players, I mean, that they're still going to get players in getting, getting a shot. I mean, Alex Grinch loves to give guys shots. I mean, that's what, yeah. that's what the speed D mantra is all about. Yeah, and so I just... Um and my kind of my dream scenario is I, I would really love Justin Harrington to kind of emerge as a nickel um, just because you know, he, he can move around a lot. He's big enough to, to hold up in the box. Um, and so, I mean, we're going to see his coverage ability and whatnot. But th- that's my dream scenario because, I, I mean, I'm just thinking to myself, you got a guy like Buki that, that you can bring in as a sixth defensive back and a dime set who can play man coverage like really well. I mean, that's that's that would be invaluable for this defense. I, I think that's a really big deal. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I, I think Harrington's development is, is, is really going to go a long way to making that a reality. All right. Anything on the other transfer they got coming in uh, quarterback, Micah Bowens grant. I got a little bit on him uh, coming from Penn state. Didn't play it all this past year. So I don't, I don't want to just completely dismiss this. Um, but I mean, this this is a depth piece. This this guy's never gonna start a game for OU at, at the quarterback position. Um, I will say this though, I, I'm I'm really happy with the athleticism that they have behind Spencer Rattler now, um, which was not always the case, you know, with Tanner Mordecai and Austin Kendall. It seems like now behind Rattler, they got two really really plus athletes when you when you factor in Caleb Williams. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, he's. To me, the easy take on Micah Bowens is, is this is their replacement for Chandler Morris. I, I, I watched his high school tape, some of his tape, and again, he didn't play at all this past year for Penn State, so he hasn't had any college reps. So I was like, oh, I'll go back and look at his, his high school tape, see what we're dealing with here. Uh, really good runner, uh, but he has also plenty of plays on his tape. And this is kind of like the opposite of the Key Lawrence thing, where uh, he's a, obviously a very good runner of the football, but there's plenty of plays on his tape showcasing his ability to throw the football, which is nice. I remember, and again, I think I might have found a, a bad tape, but when I first saw Caleb Williams, like every single play on his tape was just him running the ball. Like there's very few plays of him throwing it. And I'm assuming since Lincoln Riley recruited him, he can throw the ball fine. So I must have just gotten a bad tape. Which is tape. weird because, yeah, the, the first tape that I saw of Caleb Williams was him just chucking it deep every single play. Well, yeah, it was that. <laughs> it was either him throwing it really deep or him – uh, not seeing anybody and then just scrambling and going for 80 yards. So for Micah Bowens, I saw quite a bit of tape of him displaying his throwing ability and he's got a decent arm, nothing too crazy, uh, displayed some pretty good accuracy. To me, it looked like he was throwing at some pretty good receivers at his high school at Bishop Gorman. Uh, at least one of the guys to me was really big and long, a big old target, maybe an easy target to kind of throw it up to. But uh, Bowens, I on the run, throws really really well um his mechanics i think need a little bit of work his throwing motion isn't very natural uh from his base he looked to me he looked more comfortable actually throwing on the run than from a pocket so uh when he did throw the ball from the pocket kind of exerted a lot of effort just to get the ball downfield so again his arm is is fine it's it's nothing special uh but again as i was watching the tape i was thinking you know what this is probably a lot 
what Chandler Morris looked like in high school. He's kind of slight of frame, fast, good runner, and a pretty good throw of the football too. And a nice depth piece to go behind Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams, as you said. That's what this guy is. Yeah, I mean, this is it's great. I mean, it's and for what it is, it's great. Um, I, I I really like the concept of just having really good athletes in your quarterback room because uh, you know even if this guy is not you know ever going to start a game at quarterback for OU or even really throw a pass, you can do some pretty fun stuff with you know with quarterbacks and the run game if if you have the you know the athletes to do it. So you know I you you take good level athletes any which way that you can get them. And I, and I think this is, this is what that is. And um, one of the ways that we can look at this is that, you know, from 2020 to 2021, um, the athleticism in the quarterback room has gotten a lot better. I, I think that's pretty clear. I agree. I agree. Uh, one of the last bits of Oklahoma news we have is Joe John Finley joining the coaching staff as um the uh, basically replacing Shane Beamer. I mean, that's he's the new Shane Beamer grant. <laughs> uh, I, I don't have a whole lot on Joe John Finley. Uh, I will say I I do find it to be a good thing that he has spent the past five seasons coaching in the SEC. He was at Missouri for three, three years. He was at Texas A&M and Ole Miss for one year apiece. Most recently, he was with Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. And, you know, you got Kiffin. He's a great offensive mind. We all know that. So perhaps the addition of Joe John Finley will Maybe he'll have some creative wrinkles that Lincoln Riley hasn't considered yet. You know, that can always help out, especially because he's going to be the assistant coach for offense or the assistant head coach for offense. So he'll have a, a lot of say within that offensive huddle and uh, obviously him and Bill Beedenboe as well. As far as him overseeing some special teams, that's what Beamer did as well, even though it wasn't really in his title. I don't know anything about Joe John Finley's history coaching special teams. Uh, again, I... I assume we'll have a very similar role as Shane Beamer when it comes to that. Um, his previous assistant coaching titles did, did not include special teams coordinator or any other special teams related duties. Maybe he helped out and I just didn't see it in the notes, but uh, I, I don't know much about what he brings to the table in that aspect. But I will say <laughs> that I did see that back in 2009, he was quoted when he played for the San Francisco 49ers that uh, he takes a lot of pride in his special teams work. So there is that. We know he takes a lot of pride in special teams, at least when he played back in the day. <laughs> That's all I got on Joe John uh, Finley. Did you, did you look that up? Did you, did you actually like go online and pull that quote I sure from did. the 49ers? I sure did. Well, good on you. Good on you. Um, so yeah, my, my thought on this is, is, is the same with basically every new hire who has kind of a scant track record i said the same thing about demarco murray i like the continuity i like the fact that he's a former ou player because that's just always fun for me um <laughs> but the proof is going to be in the pudding it's just it's going to be we'll we'll see how the running backs go and then with joe john finley we'll, we'll see how you know his tight ends progress and and recruiting is going to play a big deal as well so um i said the same thing about jamar kane jamar kane the early returns on him are extraordinarily positive um but yeah, I mean it's it's the same with Joe John Finley. We'll we'll see how good the tight ends are, right? You know, I mean it's I at this point in time I have quite a bit of faith that this is probably a good hire just because every single hire thus far that Lincoln Riley has made since he's been the head guy has been good. It's turned out pretty well. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um I can't think of 
any new coach. And great, I mean, the jury is still out on DeMarco Murray, and you made a good case for that. Uh, Jamar Kane, yeah, you mentioned. I mean, he's. <laughs> I mean, the early returns are fantastic for him. Uh, Shane Beamer obviously was a great hire. He's already gone. Uh, he got a head coaching job. So yeah, yeah. and so you know, I I, I think and you, like with Demarco, you, you, I, you know, I know well. this is. Yeah, and you know, Demarco's only been there for what I mean, months. He hasn't even been there for a full year. I don't think. Um, or maybe he has. Maybe it was kind of this time yeah, last he, year. I think but. he probably got it. Yeah, probably around January, February last year. Mm-hmm. But you know, I mean, with, with Demarco, and he didn't, he didn't end up landing. Uh, you know, Kamar Wheaton, which I know was kind of a big deal uh, with with his hiring and whatnot. And I there's there's still kind of a window open there too. I think um, with Kamar Wheaton, but we'll we'll kind of let the news cycle play out on that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just that the hires so far have been fine. They, they've been good. There's, we have no reason to suspect that this hire is going to be bad at all. Um, you know, I, I really pretty much only know about Joe John Finley from, you know, his playing days at OU and he was, you know, every, everyone knows he didn't really catch that many passes, but it was always fun that there was a guy named Joe John Finley on the team, right? <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, Joe John Finley and uh, Wanye Morris, two great names that Oklahoma has acquired in the last week or so. Wanye Morris is such a great name. Wanye <laughs> is cool. That's really cool. Let's get to the listener questions from Facebook. And this will allow us to get into a, a topic that we have discussed in previous episodes. I know... Some of you listeners, based on some of these questions, definitely want us to discuss, and that is essentially the running back position, and you may have noticed we talked a lot of transfer portal and stuff and transfers. We haven't talked about running back at all, and so here we go, and, and Justin and Travis on the West of Evers Facebook page have very similar questions, and I'll, I'll read them both just uh, because I appreciate you all leaving them on the West of Evers Facebook page. We'll start with Justin. He says, looks like OU is strengthening the offensive line, but I haven't heard about adding a running back from the transfer portal. Do you guys have a couple of names of running backs in the portal that you think Oklahoma could land that can make an impact this upcoming season? I know the running back from Tennessee is in the portal, and we have already grabbed a couple guys from there. He could maybe be a good second-string guy behind Kennedy Brooks. So that's Justin asking about the transfer portal and running backs, and he mentions the Tennessee running back, and Travis's question kind of adds on to that. He says, any update on Tennessee running back Eric Gray? He could be a huge get who would challenge the other backs for more snaps or even the starting role. Looks like Lincoln Riley is making moves to set the Sooners up for a big upcoming year. So Eric Gray is the player that uh, Justin was referencing and obviously Travis is asking about. And Oklahoma's already gotten two players from Tennessee. It would it would make sense, I guess, or it's logical to good to the leap of okay well Oklahoma needs a running back it potentially was the most important need coming out of the 2020 season and we knew that Oklahoma would go to the transfer portal looking for a running back so logically why wouldn't uh Gray come and join his other teammates at Oklahoma and so the updates that that I have on that just doing some digging and just there's some behind the scenes not behind the scenes some background on Gray uh he was a 247 composite four-star in the class of 2019. He's played two years now of college football, and he's pretty darn good. At least he was in high school, Grant. Uh, he was a three-time Mr. Football in Tennessee, which has never happened before. Nobody's been that, that award three times in the state of Tennessee. Uh, this past year at Tennessee, he was the team's leading rusher. He was our starting running back. He had 772 yards. He had four touchdowns, averaged 
almost five yards per carry. And he's a, an all-purpose guy. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He was second on the team with 30 catches for 254 yards and two touchdowns. Granted, Tennessee's passing attack is obviously not great, uh, but he can catch the football, which is uh, a really important skill in general of a running back, especially in Lincoln Riley's offense. Um, so I have watched some highlights of him. I can go a little bit more into detail about what he looks like to me, but aside from that, obviously I, you know, we're not a recruiting podcast. This isn't necessarily recruiting, but it kind of is. And I know that there's information out there from some of the pay sites, um, some of the other websites that, that do these things better than you and I, from what I understand, Oklahoma is interested in, uh, in gray and, um, I'm trying to think of a way how to word this. Um, do you, he would be a good fit for Oklahoma. The question is, is he going to be the guy or are, is Oklahoma going to get somebody else? I guess. I, I mean, uh, I, I think I'm, that's I'm, the, I'm rambling. Grant. That's you, the rub. Save me. That's the rub. Right. So like we're, I, I think we're at this point now where it's like, if, if you're going to take a running back, you obviously want to take a really, really good one. And so I think there's your, I think it's likely that there's probably going to be more higher profile running backs who hit the portal, except it's going to be later on. It's probably going to be after spring practices. It's going to be closer to the summer. Um, right now, you got this guy, Eric Gray, sitting there. And who, I, you know, I'm not sure. There is some smoke there that maybe there's some interest. Maybe there's mutual interest. Um, but just, you know, purely from a numbers standpoint, Lee, this guy had over a thousand yards from scrimmage in nine games this year with Tennessee, and that was a bad offense. That's a take one hundred percent of the time, absolutely a hundred percent of the time. Um, this is a guy who averaged over five yards a carry and had over a hundred carries as a true freshman at Tennessee as well. Um, I, I mean, and like you said, three-time Tennessee Player of the Year in high school. This I, this game, he he may be a difference maker. I I, I don't like. Those numbers are nothing to sneeze at this season at Tennessee on a bad offense. Over 1,000 yards, over 30 catches, nearly five yards a carry. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. I, haven't, I, don't, I, I, I don't know, a ton, of, you know a, a ton about this guy. I haven't seen a ton of him. Uh, but you know, from what I've heard and what I can see in, in terms of numbers, this, this guy kind of looks the part, at least he does on paper. Yeah, I, I watched some of his highlights. Uh, he, he does. He looks pretty darn good. Uh, he's not Ramondre Stevenson. Uh, but he's exactly what the 2021 Oklahoma backfield needs. Uh, he's already been a premier runner for an SEC school. And, I mean, he and Kennedy Brooks would absolutely compete for the lion's share of the carries. I mean, if, if Eric Gray comes to Oklahoma and they can get him, he's definitely that, that second guy that Oklahoma is looking for. And, again, there's, uh, I believe it was Justin who asked, is there other players in the portal that Oklahoma could go after? And so uh, there's a handy tool. I got to give credit to 247 Sports. I mean, they have a list of all these players in the transfer portal and where they've gone, and it, it's really handy. And so I'm just looking at this list, Grant. Have you seen this list, by the way? No, I don't think I've ever seen it. Okay, well, uh, there's, there's a couple of names on the list of players who are in the portal, but they have not selected uh, a school yet, obviously. And they're looking, and then they're pretty highly rated. And I don't know if Oklahoma has any contact with these guys or interest in these guys. Uh, I will say I have read some, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give the, the Brainiacs a plug. I mean, the football Brainiacs are very good, and I was reading some of their information 
earlier today, and they have some good information on some of these running backs I'm, I'm about to talk about. So it would seem that, and, and I don't want to give away their info, even though it is, it's free to read on their website um, in, in the open posts. But uh, there's a couple guys, Michigan, Zach, uh, is it Charbonnet? Zach Charbonnet, does that name ring it's a bell? Charbonnet. Grant? Okay, so he's in the portal. Yeah, he's good. And I guess he had a great freshman year, but this past season he didn't really play a whole lot or he something happened. I don't know. So he's in the portal. Uh, a guy from Auburn, Mark Anthony Richards, he's also in the portal. Both of these players, by the way, were composite four-star running backs for uh, coming out of high school. And then uh, they're actually on, on the 247 portal website. Those two players are actually ranked higher than Eric Gray. Granted, it's I mean it's all within a few percentage points. They're all they're all former four star recruits, uh, but I mean those are other options as well. And I and I will say, according to the Football Brainiacs, and I know that you like them a lot, and everything that I've read from them for the most part over the years has been really rock solid. Uh, it it sounds like according to them that that Oklahoma and Gray are communicating, and that's a thing. And I I believe that there was some initial interest according to again the Football Brainiacs in Charbonnet and Mark Anthony Richards, but perhaps uh, they've moved on from those guys and they're focusing mostly on on Eric Gray. And you kind of hinted earlier in the podcast about Kamara Wheaton, and uh, he has not signed his national letter of intent yet, technically. He's committed to Alabama, and obviously with, with Sark going, and I guess um, Alabama's running backs coach, I think, is, has left as well. Uh, there's some smoke on I'll plug them again the football brainiacs website apparently Oklahoma might be trying to go after Kamar Wheaton again Grant and so yeah, and I wouldn't let's and I wouldn't get too carried away with that yet um there you know just because there's a small amount of smoke doesn't mean there's a there's a fire raging so I, I would just yeah let's pump the brakes a little bit and we'll see what happens but yeah I mean there's there there's things potentially happening and I don't, we'll just kind of let it play out. It, it's okay. It's not, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to die if we just kind of sit back and, and, and let it play out for now. Um, so I was going to say, here's, here's my, uh, I'm going to take my, my uh, esteemed journalism cap off for a moment because uh, I, I will say this. I don't, I don't say this a whole lot on this podcast, but when, you know, if I was a, if I was a news reporter, um, I, it's, it's very important to me that you don't... I mean, news is, is very serious. It's a lot more serious than sports. Sports is... It can be serious, but when you're talking about where a guy's going to go, where a player's going to play, inherently, it's not that serious. So my point is, is I'm going to take my, my esteemed journalism cap off for just a moment and theorize something uh, just because of the smoke from what I read from the Brainiacs and the fact that two players have already committed to Oklahoma from Tennessee, Okay, a third player, Eric Gray, would logically make sense. Hey, come on. I mean, like your teammates, they need a running back badly. Oklahoma does. It makes a ton of sense for him to want to go to Oklahoma because Oklahoma is going to be a national championship contender next year. So why hasn't Gray committed? Uh, okay, maybe he's got other suitors. Sure. And, and I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not aware of anybody else that he is interested in. He could be interested in plenty of schools. He's a, he's a really good player. So that could be it. Or... Is is there some delay here because there's another guy on Oklahoma's radar 
that Oklahoma's trying to get, and it makes Eric Gray think, oh, well, if they get somebody else, my chances of playing aren't going to be as, as good. Or, I mean, I'll play, but I won't play as much as I want to play at Oklahoma, so maybe I'll go somewhere else. So basically my point is maybe, maybe Oklahoma does think that Kamar Wheaton's still in play, and maybe they've told Eric Gray that. And maybe that's making Gray think, well, eh, I mean, even though he's a, he'd be a true freshman, that could be a guy that could cut into my playing time. I don't know. So that, that's my uh, – I'm, I'm going to put my, my esteemed journalism back on now after laying out that theory that has no sub, uh, supporting evidence. But based on circumstantial, it makes me think that since Gray has not committed to Oklahoma yet, um, something is going on behind the scenes that we don't know about that is making him delay. Let's, let's put it that way. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, you know, I I don't know if I if I really agree with you or not. I, I mean, I I don't and know. That's if fine. It's, I could be totally wrong. <laughs> and and I don't know. Like, I I don't have any inside. I don't have any inside information here. I I, I don't. All either. I know is I don't either. Um, just fun podcast banter. Is Kamar Wheaton that good? See, I don't is know. He? I don't know. And that's the thing. I don't know either. I, and I really don't. And, I know. And you I know mean, what? If and that's a good point because if I'm Eric Gray. I got two years of college football under my belt and two pretty good years under my belt. I'm not going to be worried about some incoming true freshman. So, I mean, I, I might have just torpedoed my theory right there because a guy like, Eric Gray, a guy like Eric Gray is going to have a ton of confidence in himself. Yeah, I mean, here's, here's kind of where I am on this. If OU's main goal is to win the 2021 National Championship and right now you're kind of – you're you're the decision in front of you is do we take Kamar Wheaton or Eric Gray to help us win that national championship? The decision should be Eric Gray and they shouldn't even have to think about it. What if Kamar? But I, I, I doubt that's what's happening. I, <laughs> I doubt that's, that's exactly what's happening. I'm, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm, but what I'm sure if I told play you that we'll, we'll know the full story eventually. But what if I told you that Kamar Wheaton was the next Adrian Peterson? Would that change your mind? <laughs> if Kamar Wheaton is as good as Adrian Peterson as a freshman, then yeah, but I, uh, we can't, <laughs> No, I, I, I have no idea how good Kamar Wheaton is going to be. And he's the type of guy where, like, I mean, if you followed his recruitment at all, you know that he's kind of a quiet guy, sort of leaves people hanging a lot, doesn't really say what's on his mind. And I, guy seems kind of wishy-washy. It you know, is kind of so. interesting that he has not, uh, he didn't sign early in the December signing period. That's kind of interesting. Uh, I know he committed, but he didn't sign. So, because, uh, I mean, obviously, so, national, yeah, I mean, it's, the, the regular national signing day is coming up. Uh, I guess it's a, a week from... It's a week from, uh, I guess, when you're listening to this podcast, a week from Wednesday. It's always the first Wednesday of February, I believe. I think that's when it normally is. So, yeah. 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 And I'm sure, like, so if, so if if Eric Gray, you know, is going to come to OU and right now sort of the status of Kamar Wheaton is the holdup, um, I don't know. I guess just that would purely, just kind of surprise me. Just pure me. speculation. Just pure speculation on I part. know. That would surprise me. That would kind of surprise me. But I think, but I think if that is the case... We're, we're going to know about it. The evidence is going to be pretty clear after signing day in a week, I think. True, true. Uh, okay, so that was kind of fun, just uh, throwing out some, some uh, I won't say garbage, just throwing out some unsubstantiated theories just because we've had a podcast now for four years and I felt like it. So, uh, yeah, so hopefully that answered uh, your question, guys, Justin and Travis, about the running back situation. Um, I, I suppose, again, the, the other two running backs that are not uh, signed are Mark Anthony Richards from Auburn and uh, Zach Charbonnet 
from Michigan. And I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe Oklahoma gets one of those guys. And uh, all this discussion we just had was moot. But uh, I I watched Eric Gray's tape, and he looks pretty darn good. And I think that would be a great get for Oklahoma if they do get him. Let's see. Next up, a couple more listener questions. Uh, Philip has one. He says, and I, I will preface this, Philip, by saying that uh, we've already pretty much answered this question, I believe. But let me just read it again to remind myself of it because I put this in the rundown about an hour ago or two hours ago, probably. Uh, Philip asks, which of the pickups from the transfer portal will have an immediate impact next season? Prospects looking better for next year or has it not really changed that much? So, yeah, I think we've already kind of answered this question in this podcast. We talked about Morris and, and Key Lawrence and kind of where they're where they're standing heading into next year. Does that sound about right, Grant? We've already kind of talked about this a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah, I think we yeah, we went in that, you know, pretty in depth, I think. OK, but we still appreciate the question, Philip. Uh, you got a bit of an answer earlier in the pod, I guess, in a way. And also, Harry, uh, thank you for the question, Harry. And uh, this is this is more Harry's question is something that we will probably end up saving for a later podcast just because we have plenty of time to get into this. But Harry says uh, you all should talk about players that you're excited about transferring in or freshmen on campus that can make impacts in uh, an impact in 2020. Um, I, again, that's something that we can definitely hold on to that for a later date. We've already talked about a little bit about certain players that we're excited about. For instance, Grant talked about McCutcheon he's excited about, but, uh, that's definitely something we will get into down the line, Harry. And we appreciate the question. Absolutely. Yeah. My, the, the, the two guys who are, and I'll, I'll just touch on this briefly because the, the early enrollees of the new freshman class, they're on campus now. Uh, I already mentioned that I really like Latrell McCutcheon. Uh, another guy I actually really like in this class too is the Oklahoman Ethan Downs. Uh, that guy's tape is awesome. Uh, that's a guy who is who doesn't really have the recruiting accolades as other guys. He's only a three-star guy by rivals. When you turn on the tape though, that dude is freaking dominating everybody in front of him. Um, I, I I think I think Ethan Downs can can develop into a pretty good player uh, despite the recruiting pedigree or lack of recruiting pedigree. Um, he just looks good. I. I when you turn on his tape, he is dominating everyone in front of him, and it's it's there's no survivors. It's awesome. All right. Well, uh, that's that's all I had really when it comes to OU and and like all the news that's happened in the last uh, couple of weeks since our show. The one other thing though, that I I briefly touched on at the start of the the episode is Mike Stoops and that kind of forty eight hour story that was. It was crazy, and I, I I reported a couple of of tidbits, or actually, more specifically, confirmed other reports from what I heard from sources, uh, and then more of the story came out from AL.com by um, Matt Zinitz, who had the initial report that Mike Stoops uh, was going to join Steve Sarkeesian's staff at Texas Grant as an assistant coach, and I believe it was Zinitz. Uh, I never got the actual uh, position he was going to coach. Uh, Zinitz reported that it was going to be a, as a linebacker coach, which is not surprising. He coached linebackers at, at OU. But then, uh, so so I, I had definitely heard through sources that Mike Stoops was expected to be hired at Texas. And as of last Thursday night, as late as last Thursday night, there was – from what I understand, a verbal 
deal in place to make Mike Stoops part of the Texas staff. And then the next morning, it it all changed. And in, in less than 24 hours, the he was not going to be at Texas. And um, the Austin American Statesman reported the next day that Sark was not going to hire him. And then Matt Zinitz from AL.com ended up having more of the information, more of the story. And uh, it's one of those things where I, I'm not sure what I can and can't say based on what I know. And I know that sounds really dumb to everyone listening to this podcast because you guys hate hearing that stuff. Uh, I hate hearing that stuff from, from podcasters and reporters too. I, and I kind of hate myself for even mentioning it. But I will say that a lot of uh, basically what Matt Zinitz has reported from AL.com, that's for, for it's it's good stuff. I mean, it's uh, I, I, it's crazy, Grant. I mean, he he got a phone call, according to Matt Zinitz. Uh, actually, the uh, that in, you know, Mike Stoops got a phone call Friday morning, last Friday morning, saying that, uh, yeah, the, the, the plans are are changed. You're not going to. You're not going to get hired here. And I mean, that's really all I know about it. Uh, But it's just a bizarre situation where, again, in less than 24 hours, man, something happened and Mike Stoops is going to coach at Texas. And then all of a sudden, snap of the fingers, he's not going to coach at Texas. And and so, yeah, we obviously like obviously there's the connection here with Mike Stoops and his long connection to OU. That's kind of. That's the main reason why we're talking about this. But but the reason this is a story and the reason this is interesting, Lee, is because, I mean, let's 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 just say it. Sark was going to hire Mike Stoops and Texas Boosters came in and meddled. I mean, that's that's pretty clearly what happened um, and said, no, that's not going to happen. We're, you're not hiring Mike Stoops. There's plenty of and circumstantial so, evidence that suggests that that is a, a pretty strong probability as to what happened. Yeah, and the, and you know, of course you have to wear your journalist hat. I'm a fan. I don't. It's that's what happened, and that's that that's what happens at Texas a lot. That's always been kind of the inside story, and so of course as an OU fan, I see stuff like this, and I just I I get a little giddy because in my mind I'm thinking to myself, Sark specifically wanted Mike Stoops for his staff. He like he, he didn't care about his his uh you know the the failed defensive coordinator uh, stint at OU the second time. All he cared about what was going on at Alabama and what he could do for his staff at Texas. And somebody at Texas who is only affiliated with the football program insofar as much as they fund it or they just have people near it and they know a lot about it. Allegedly. Allegedly came out and said, <laughs> "No, you can't make the hire on your football team." And me as an OU fan. I love that. I love that because it's telling me that Sark is going to is going into the exact same situation that Charlie Strong went into, the exact same situation that Tom Herman went into, and that maybe on the booster level, there has not been a lot of self-reflection for why that program sucks and always underachieves. A little a piece of circumstantial evidence that that made me a bit skeptical and well, that's not the right word. Uh, definitely kind of made me believe more about uh, the theory that you put up, put about about the boosters was um, on Friday, the day that, again, um, Mike Stoops reportedly got a phone call the morning of saying that, nope, you're not going to you're not going to be working at Texas now. Later that day on Friday in the afternoon, Texas announced pretty much every single one of their 
assistant coaches, their new assistant coaches, like officially announced them all, except for one, <laughs> except for the position that Mike Stoops was going to be coaching. And so it, it's like, oh, so they had all to me, it clearly looked like they had this plan to announce all the assistants at the same time on Friday. And, and Mike Stoops was going to be that being that bunch. And then all of a sudden he wasn't. And so it was very bizarre to me that Texas still announced all of their assistant coaches that day, because to me, it made it even more obvious that something squirrely happened. And then I think it was either later that day or the next day that uh, the word came out that Sark hired. And I apologize. I don't have the guy's name, but he hired a guy from, I think, like maybe Montana State or he hired like a head coach from an FCS school to come in and, and take over uh, that role that I believe Stoops was, was set to take. And so, again, that that little piece of circumstantial evidence leads me to believe that, yeah, something something bizarre happened. And OK, so I I. It's not obviously boosters. I I, th- I think it's pretty likely it is boosters or someone who's who funds the program or is really close to the program. It could also be someone in the athletic department, etc. I'd be really curious to know if this is something uh, that was dictated by one person. If this is something that was dictated by a group of people who felt this way and then and then they felt like they had to, um, you know, tell Chris Del Conte how they felt or tell Sark how they felt or whatever. But I mean, if if it really is just kind of one person or just a smattering of, of a handful of people, the freaking chutzpah, chutzpah of those people. Chutzpah, I believe. Like, I just... Is it chutzpah? Yeah, thank you. There's uh. something like that. I'm sorry. I, I, yeah, I totally just destroyed that. My bad. But like, <laughs> your, I mean, your program, which has, which has more resources than virtually everybody, it is. I mean, Texas should not be as bad as they are. It's, it's unforgivable that they are. But... You like you live in the same reality in the same world as everyone else, where the like everyone knows that meddling that meddling boosters and people in the athletic department or people close to the program wanting to get their way is what sinks football programs. Do these people not have any self awareness whatsoever? You go out and you hire someone to do a job for you, and he says, "This is my staff. This is the staff I want." And then you feel like you can go and say, no, 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 this guy is not good enough. He's not good enough for Texas because he had a, because our rival, he was the DC at our rival and their defense was terrible. So why do you want him to come in and, and coach linebackers? The fact that Nick Saban thought he was good enough for his staff means nothing to these people. The fact that the guy that they're paying million, tens of millions of dollars to come in and save their fledgling football program thought that this was the right guy for the staff. And these dudes come in and they say, no, you're wrong. That is hysterically funny to me. Hysterically funny. These people don't know anything. They're stupid. They don't know anything. And yet they have tons of power and tons of money that they're throwing at the program. It's hilarious. Mike Stoops at Texas would have been, it would have been something. It would have been interesting. Um, and I'll, I will say this. Obviously, Mike Stoops in Oklahoma football, like, yeah, he left on really bad terms because his, his defense got really bad. But it, this does... This stinks. I mean, for him. I mean, he's a guy. He obviously, the last two years, he's been with you know, Alabama, learned from Nick Saban, and I'm sure he probably thought, okay, I'm finally going to get a chance to get out on my own in a way and show that I'm not, I'm not the same guy. I've improved. I've learned more. And I think the, uh, as far as we know, uh, I got to get this guy's uh, Matt Zenitz from AL AL.com. I believe that Stoops is planning on going back to 
uh, Alabama and continuing his role as an analyst there and just to see what happens next. But I mean, that that stinks for him. And yeah, the whole thing is just the whole thing is just incredibly silly to me Um, because I mean, if it's it's very obvious like this, this move was made because of Mike Stoops tenure at OU. And I don't know what that has to do with 2021 Texas. He's not going to be calling the defense. You went out and gave a million dollars to Pete uh, Kwiatkowski or whatever his name is. Right. Like he's not going to be calling the defense. It's like you're it's like you're you're uncomfortable with Mike Stoops and your your secondary because of like because of what happened in a second, you know, uh, stint at OU. But it's like but Blake Gideon is totally okay. That guy was awful in college. And I know that's kind of apples and oranges, but like it just sort of it just doesn't the logic doesn't make sense. It's like it's it I don't know. It's using like using angry Twitter fans and Twitter or message board stuff to make your hires. It's stupid. It's dumb. Apparently the uh Jeff Choate. Uh this is from Chip Brown at uh, Horns 247. He says Montana State head coach Jeff Choate is expected to be named co-defensive coordinator and inside linebackers coach at Texas. So I wonder if Stoops was going to have the co-defensive coordinator uh, title as well. I don't know. Um, again, I, I never got my, – my sources never um, confirmed what position he was going to coach. I think uh, AL.com reported that he was going to be inside linebackers coach. Uh, I didn't read anything prior about him potentially being a, a, an assistant defensive coordinator. Uh, okay, so it looks like Texas has not officially announced him but uh, there's some reports. So I'm not crazy. They, they did. There was reports about that position being filled uh, on Friday. So uh, I feel a lot better about that now. <laughs> so, uh, but hey, just one last thing on this is, again, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that suggests that this something squirrely and weird happened. Because, again, it, it, my understanding is as of late Thursday night, Mike Stoops had a verbal agreement that he was going to be on the staff at Texas and then I know the Austin American Statesman reported the next morning that Sark was not going to hire uh, Mike Stoops and that he had another guy in mind for that job. And then Chip Brown's, <clears throat> Chip Brown's story I'm reading right now says that you know the source told him that Jeff Choate is expected to be named co-defensive coordinator and inside linebackers coach at Texas. Uh, Choate will be the 10th and final on-field coaching position for Steve Sarkeesian. The source said that Sarkeesian talked to Choate on Friday about the possibility of joining the Longhorn staff and that an agreement was being worked out Friday night. <laughs> so it sounds like, based on this story, that the first time Sark could even... Uh, I mean, who knows if it was the first time he talked to Choate, but, I mean, it just... It almost... It, it looks like almost like he had to scramble to find a new assistant coach... And that's what happened, does it not? I mean, that's that's what all the evidence looks like, because he had his guy, yeah. and then he didn't have his guy. That's what it looks like. And you know, I mean, spend a lot of time around college football. You know, when stuff something like that happens, that means someone who is extremely close to the program is meddling. That's what that means. And at a place like Texas, where the history of meddling is 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 pretty well known, I, I, I don't, you know. I don't think it's too much of a leap to, to say that's that's almost certainly what happened. Um, but, you know, regards to uh, like that's sort of just that's sort of completely stifled a lot of momentum for Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they, they were making a lot of really nice hires. Um, them taking, you know, Pete Kwiatkowski from Washington's a great hire. He's a guy that I really wanted OU to look at when they were out, when, before they hired Alex Grinch. God, that's a tough one. That's, he's a guy who I always thought his name was pronounced Kwiatkowski. And it's actually, <laughs> it's actually like quit, quit. And so now I'm like, I'm having to, when I see it, I'm always having to correct myself. And it's just, it's so hard for me. I hate it. Yeah, I mean, as far as I can tell, from I haven't done a deep dive into Kwiatkowski, but I, yeah, I, I think he's got great reviews all across college football. Um, so yeah, I, and obviously Sark's got that Pac-12 tie. Um, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of skinning more of this story, and it's just it's more falling into place about how <laughs> how dumb this whole thing was. I mean, so <laughs> either Sark had been in contact with. Jeff Choate prior and you know maybe you know maybe he had Mike Stoops in mind maybe he had Jeff Choate in mind and you know and finally you know it it, it came down and it was Jeff Choate all the way you know that's probably what uh, Texas would want you to believe but again we know that I have you know very good sources and I know Alabama reported as well that Mike Stoops was expected to be on that coaching staff so anyways point being is I'm reading this story and apparently Choate who now was going to be at Texas uh, he worked with New Texas DC Kwiatkowski at Washington on the D line as, as a D line coach uh, from 2014 and 2015. So what are the chances, Grant, or what are the odds you think that Sark was like, "Hey, uh, Pete, uh, Pete Kwiatkowski, dude, man, I do you know anybody that can come in and coach linebackers, inside linebackers? Because crap, we have an open spot all of a sudden." And I mean, Pete, I'm sure that's. I, I'm sure that wasn't the exact conversation, but it was probably <laughs> similar to that. <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, I'm sure, yeah, he probably tapped into his new DC to say, hey, who do you want to work with? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because because uh, Choate, he's a, he was the Montana State head coach. I mean, he was a head coach at a, a really good FCS program, and he obviously has had he's got a good resume, it looks like. So anyways, it's just the whole thing is it's uh, it doesn't take a genius to kind of read between the lines here, I I, I would believe so. Uh, but yeah, uh, anyways, though, overall, I mean, Texas fans, I'm sure are still very excited. Um, and I think they should be, uh, I mean, Sark seems they like should an be. adult. I, I mean, and, I, I, yeah, I think they should be, you know, and I, it's, I, I will point out that Sark has not been a particularly successful head coach. His two other stops, of course, he's had massive kind of life events that have, that have sort of come in. Uh, and uh, you know, his, his life has changed radically since then. Uh, and you know, he's, and you know, Nick Saban assistant coaches Lee do not do well once they leave Nick Saban a lot of the time very similar to Bill Belichick assistants not doing well once they leave Bill Belichick so um, I'm curious to see how this works out I know I know it's kind of uh, Jeff Banks who is their new uh, special teams coordinator and is their assistant head coach I know he is kind of viewed as like he, he was coming from Alabama he's viewed as like the really big hire the big one along with Kwiatkowski as well um yeah, I remember when we were kind of doing a lot of research about, you know, defensive coordinators at OU. Uh, Kwiatkowski was a guy that I really, like, looked into a lot. And the more that I dug a little bit, the more it kind of seemed like the defense at Washington was kind of a, a, a dual thing. It was him and Jimmy Lake, who mm-hmm. is now the head coach there. Yeah. And so, I, if I recall, basically what happened was Kwiatkowski essentially is in charge of the front seven, and Jimmy Lake was their passing game coordinator. And so, I'm looking now... They, they hired a, a passing game coordinator and secondary coach. So it looks like they're going to do kind of the exact same splitting of the duties there as well. Terry Joseph is their passing game coordinator. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, let's kind of interested to see how that will work out. So uh, you mentioned Terry Joseph. You mentioned Jeff Banks. I know a little bit about those guys. Uh, they were on Kevin Sumlin's staff at Texas A&M when I was covering Texas A&M. Uh, and during the 2015 and 2016 season. And Jeff Banks, he's always had uh, a really good reputation. And the big thing with him is, you know, special teams, but he was always known as a really good recruiter. And so, and he obviously knows the state of Texas because, uh, again, he was at A&M for a little bit. And then uh, uh, Joseph, he was, I believe he was their secondary, co- secondary coach at Texas A&M. Uh, I don't know as much about him. I don't remember as much about him. I just I remember the big thing about Banks was that he was supposed to be a really good recruiter. And how much of uh, those Texas A&M recruiting classes was Banks? How much of it was Kevin Sumlin? Because Kevin Sumlin was always known as a very good recruiter as well. Uh, but at the same time, though, what has Texas been known for forever? Really, not forever, but in the last 15, 20 years, Texas has been known to be really good at recruiting, right? It's just the player development has been where they've they've struggled and they have not been able to develop guys and they've consistently just won like eight and nine games a year and as, as i say has been they've been irrelevant and it, yeah I, but I, I i have an open mind now and i mean i if sark hadn't gone through all of the the life stuff you know off the field and then learn more from sabin and stuff i i'd probably wouldn't be as high on him but i think that you know you learn a lot when you go through tough life situations and you know he's probably grown up a bit even though he was already an adult I'm sure he's like if if I'm Texas right now I'm I'm very excited about this hire and all the cliches about Texas and the behind the scenes stuff sure I mean that's that's the thing that you worry about is will that rear its ugly head and will that end up being a something that maybe deters Sark and his coaching staff I guess we'll find out over time um yeah, I just, just wanted to touch real quick on my, my cheap shot on Blake Gideon about 10 minutes ago. Um, not necessarily fair. Uh, you know, him him being a, a, a drastically below-average college player, of course, has nothing to do with, with him being a coach as well. Um, and I did just want to mention, I know Blake Gideon literally was a four-year starter at, at Texas, um, started in that national championship game against against Alabama that one year. But, man, do Ryan Broyles and Kenny Stills just own that guy's lunch all day every day and always will and because this is an OU football podcast I would just be remiss if I did not bring that up and that's all thank you thank you okay that's all I have on Mike Stoops in Texas I think we did a lot more on that than I thought we did but I think it was okay that was that was another uh, edition of me kind of taking off my well I didn't take off my journalism hat fully but you know diving more into potential uh, circumstantial evidence and theories and, and whatnot. Uh, I'm not saying anything that I know a lot of our listeners probably aren't already saying and thinking as well. Uh, anything else on your mind that you'd like to get off your chest before we close out this episode of West of Evers Grant? It was a, it was a meat and potatoes, meat and potatoes. OU podcast. I think a lot has happened. It's crazy to think, uh, you know, it's, I mean, the season has been over for less than a month, which is crazy. Uh, a lot has happened. But, you know, I, I think uh, kind of as you get older, you get more of adult, just time sort of passes a lot faster than it used to. So I, I when we first started doing this podcast, I always used to be like kind of when we got to this point in the season, I'd be like, gosh, we're just we're so long away from the season. And I just I can't stand it. But but I know now that I'm, I'm 30 years old now and I know that that time definitely just kind of continues apace. We're pretty close to the season starting, <laughs> relatively speaking, in the in the greater sense of everything. Um, 
And I, and it's, it's going to be no time before these guys are out, you know, for spring practice. And we got a ton to talk about then. And then before then we just got to get through the summer and then it's going to be football time again. Um, and then damn, before we know it, that season, the 2021 season is going to be over before we know it. So, okay. Um, okay. Easy, easy. <laughs> hey, it, it's true though. You know, it's true. Yeah, man. I, uh, <laughs> one of the weird parts of this podcast and just life in the last few years, for whatever reason, I, I always go back to the season opener in 2018. So Kyler's one and only year starting whenever they played FAU. And I remember, I just, I, I remember thinking like before that game, the off season leading up to that game, I remember thinking it took forever and ever and ever. And then uh, I think that was whenever you were, um, you were on uh, you're on your honeymoon in, in the preseason yeah i was in europe and uh i just remember leading up to that game and thinking man i'm so excited for football to start kyler murray's going to be the starting quarterback that was the 2018 opener o- ou's played two full seasons well technically three full seasons since then because the 2018 season went all the way through and then the 2019 and the 2020 season since then and for whatever reason i i don't think back to like 2017 i think I think of 2018 as kind of this moment where, man, time just started speeding up. <laughs> it's just flying by, man. I mean, can you believe it's a full football season's already gone by since the whole Jalen Hurts season? What I mean, what a weird, no. crazy Jalen Hurts thing. No, I mean, I mean it was the what tw- the 2020 season was blink and you miss it. Um, and of course, I mean they only they didn't they didn't play as many games as they typically would. Um, but it's just yeah, it, it's crazy how quickly. It went, and it's and that's. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff going on, a lot of other stuff that that chews up the headlines and occupies, you know, people's brain space. Uh, mm-hmm. That's just kind of how it is, um, and things can get kind of lost in the shuffle. And before you know it, the season's over. And I and I, you know, I, I always kind of find it find it funny, especially in the last year when people have said, uh, when they're referring to 2020, like, ah, oh, what a long year. It took forever. It's just like. I just I'm the total opposite. That was the fastest year of my life. It still feels like it was just yesterday that you know that March Madness got canceled and we were being told we all have to work from home. It's like yeah. this is um, this has been the fastest, quickest, most uh, just crazy year I, I think of everyone's life, and it just it hasn't drug drug on at all. It's it's continued a pace quickly like a freaking freight train, and it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is going to be the most anticipated spring ball ever because <laughs> spring practice is always kind of like, eh, whatever. I mean, if if I didn't work in media, um, I would probably ignore most of spring ball. I mean, absolutely, but it's it's good for the I, I, it's good content in March, April. Uh, but we didn't really get it last year, and so if we can kind of get a version of it this season, granted, I don't anticipate us being able to have a real a real spring ball as far as coverage goes like there's going to be no chance they're going to let us go out and actually watch a practice or two i just don't see that happening unfortunately uh, they'll probably have it they'll probably do the zoom media stuff again so it's it's not going to be real uh they'll probably have a spring game i, I mean i'm just guessing I, I have no clue or what they're planning on doing but i mean i they're going to want to have a spring game but anyways point being is that I mean, hopefully they have a spring practice. They're going to need it. Everybody's going to need it to to kind of get ahead of everything. And then, you know, if we can have March Madness like normal, it'll it'll start feeling like it's a little bit more normal in the sports world. But, um, yeah, I, I agree with you mostly. I think 
I think 2020 at times was slow, but mostly it went by really fast. And Grant, we're we're almost done with January of 2021. I mean, where the heck did January go? So this this year is going to fly by. And I think you're right. As, as you get older, for whatever reason, time does seem to speed up. Maybe it's because we have more responsibility. Uh, we have more things to distract us to where time flies. Or maybe it's more psychological and maybe there's some other stuff that we couldn't even really quantify because we're not smart enough. But uh, I don't think... Yeah, our, we don't have our, to go... Right. I don't think our, our thoughts are, are different than most people. I think most people probably feel that that same way. I typically like to sneak in some some pretty deep like uh, philosophy stuff sometimes at the end of our podcast. Right. And we was, wait till everyone stops listening. That was listening. this. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, but I, I, I mean, I totally forgot. You know, we, we haven't had a podcast since Baker Mayfield was eliminated from the playoffs. Do you have any thoughts on that? Like any thoughts in general about the NFL? Well, of course I do. And I guess I might as well say them I, my my too long what, what is this thing too long didn't read tldr tldr yeah uh is that i thought i thought baker against the chiefs played pretty well but at the same time it's not good that they couldn't win that football game because patrick mahomes missed the last quarter and a half uh you got to take advantage of that when patrick mahomes is not in the game for the last quarter and a half and the Chiefs defense, which they played a lot better in the playoffs. And I mean, the Chiefs actually have a, a better defense than I kind of thought they did. But it's still, it's not, it's not, it's not an elite defense. Um, it's, anyways, like it was a huge missed opportunity, I think, for Cleveland. And it, it made it even, even more clear uh, on Sunday in that Bills Chiefs game because, I mean, the Chiefs looked just downright unstoppable. And I think Buffalo's got a pretty solid defense. They got a better defense than Cleveland does. And it was like hot knife through butter for the Chiefs, Chiefs offense against the Bills. So my main thought takeaway is that I thought Baker, for the most part, played pretty well. Uh, not a good pick, but Tyron Matthews a really good player. So he baited them into that. Uh, aside from that, they were snake bit on the, uh, the fumble through the end zone. Obviously, that's a whole thing. That could have changed the game. But they they needed to win that football game because Patrick Mahomes missed the last quarter and a half. And that is a huge missed opportunity. And, and I, I it's not like, I, I feel like you and I, we call balls and strikes. And I, like a lot of people come away from that game really excited about Baker and he played well. It's like, yeah, I, I agree, but come on. Like that was a golden opportunity with, with the best player on the planet, not in the game in crunch time. And they, they couldn't find a way to, to win. And that, I didn't like that part, so that's my takeaway. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. The Browns needed to win that game, especially after... I mean, yeah, I mean, Mahomes being hurt pretty much the entire second half. Yeah, you, you got to win that game. I, I don't necessarily think it was all on Baker. I mean, that was no, that was, no. that was a team loss for the Browns, for sure. Um, But I don't know. I, I, I'm, I thought the game, like the game itself, was electric. The TV product was outstanding. The drama within the game after Mahomes got hurt, and, obvi- uh, and obviously it, it's good that Mahomes is not, you know, actually hurt and everything's all good. Um, what? But the drama after he left the game, and you could just you could just feel the pressure, and you could feel the moment. And at that time, I was just thinking to myself, "This is the NFL. This is just this is why the NFL always wins and will always win uh, for for moments just like that." The drama in that game in the second half was was unbearable. It was awesome. It was great. 
Um, and I, I just, yeah, I'm disappointed with how it kind of turned out with Baker being eliminated, but just a, I mean, just a really dramatic, really entertaining football game. I thought that was, and, um, I, I did want to kind of bring up, um, I did on, on one of the first podcasts this season, I did say that the bills, uh, after I think three or four weeks were my pick to win the Super Bowl. Uh, so there was, there was part of me. Um, this weekend who is like, I kind of want the Bills to win so I can come on this podcast and just ring my own bell and, and toot my own horn and stuff like that. Um, but it's really hard for me not to just completely appreciate the Kansas City Chiefs right now. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, he doesn't have the resume that Tom Brady does. Tom Brady obviously has the best resume, probably in the history of professional sports. Um, Patrick Mahomes is playing the quarterback position better than anyone has ever played it in the history of the sport. <laughs> um, and I, I just, I, I don't see any sort of realistic scenario where the chiefs are not in that AFC championship game perpetually for the next 10 years. Um, I, I just, I, I don't see it happening. They remind me a lot of the two thousands Colts, except a lot faster, a lot better. And they don't have Bill Belichick's Patriots and Tom Brady's Patriots there, uh, there. Um, I thought the chiefs, um, I, I thought over the course of the NFL season, um, because I, I, people just got too cute by half um, and sort of forgot about the Chiefs this year. They were always clearly the best team in the league. They were always the Super Bowl favorite. And I thought anyone talking themselves into anything otherwise was just being kind of delusional. Um, as, as long as Pat Mahomes is healthy and not concussed or, or passed out on the sideline, the Kansas City Chiefs are the Super Bowl favorite, and they should be perpetually from here on out. And anyone anyone who says otherwise is just trying too hard. They're trying to get too cute. Yeah, I, I agree. I, the underrated thing, though, about the Chiefs that, that I didn't really see until the last couple of games is that uh, they got a good defense. It, it's, it's definitely like a top, top 15 capable of being like a top 10 style of defense that if – it wasn't as good as, you know, that, then Mahomes have a little bit more pressure on him. But, man, I mean, I, I, I kind of started buying in. I mean, I, I definitely bought into the Bills, and I thought their, their path to the AFC title game was a lot more difficult than the Chiefs. Obviously, they had to play an extra game. But I think the Colts have a really good defense, and Josh Allen played really well against the Colts. Granted, the Bills could have lost that game. Uh, I mean, the Colts were in position – all day to win it but they got through that game against a really good Colts defense I think the Ravens have one of the best defenses in, in all of the NFL and I know the Bills offense didn't play that well but they were able to do enough to to get past the Ravens and I thought I think the Chiefs are the worst defense that they've seen in the playoffs so far I think the Bills are going to be able to open some things up on offense and they couldn't they couldn't uh, score touchdowns Grant I mean like I this whole thing about kicking field goals against the Chiefs what are you doing how are how are teams still doing that? You you don't. Yeah, the, uh, I mean, it's the oldest cliche ever. You don't, and it's true in this scenario. You you don't beat the Chiefs kicking field goals. You don't beat teams like that yeah. kicking field goals. The um and this is this is uh touching on a on a previous point that you made. Um, the Ravens and the Chiefs kind of figured out that if you take away Stephon Diggs, maybe Josh Allen is is not is not quite there yet. Um, yeah, that's, and that's I think that's yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, um, Stephon Diggs is is awesome. Stephon Diggs is, is one of the three is. best receivers in the NFL. Damn, he is. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I mean, you, you take, I, I think the Chiefs correctly diagnosed that Stefan Diggs was the guy that they needed to take away. He was the guy they needed to focus on. Um, and everything else just sort of fell into place. That was smart. A, a really good defensive game plan for the Chiefs. All right, I got to get out of here and uh, hopefully go win some some uh, bar trivia tonight. So uh, I think we'll call it call it a day there. Uh, good luck. The world is behind you. Thank you. So that is it for this episode of West of Everest. Stay tuned to the Facebook page for updates on our next episode. Until that day, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.